Our second reading this morning is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. It's at page 27 of the New Testament section of your Pew Bibles. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last Tuesday evening, the mission study team met, as it has done nearly every week since April. The mission study team's task is to create a document that the pastor nominating committee will use to create what's basically the church's resume. The mission study they'll create basically says, this is who we are, this is what's important to us, this is what we strive to become. This description of who we are and what we hope to become lets potential pastors know whether they'd be a good fit for us, and vice versa. So on Tuesday evening, the mission study team noted that over 80% of you responded on the survey that one of the things you value most about this church is a sense of community. But the team wondered, why this community? After all, you can find community many places, your kids' soccer team or the school PTA, Rotary or Al-Anon, your golfing buddies or your quilting club. We talked about the fact that the church provides people with a sense of purpose, but you can find a sense of purpose with any charity or even at work. What church provides, what any good religion provides, is a combination of purpose and meaning, and both of them, the meaning and the purpose, point to the ultimate meaning and purpose of God, our Creator, whom alone we worship and serve. The meaning and purpose of the church is what we will explore over the next six Sundays in our series on what the Presbyterian Book of Order calls the Great Ends of the Church. All six are listed on your bulletin cover, and I learned this past week that the pastor who served this church before me, Chandler Stokes, preached a series on the six great ends of the church in 2003, just before he left. So maybe this is our signature pastor's farewell sermon series. When I was a teenager, I had a friend whose father always said the same thing when she left the house to go to a party or out on a date. He said, remember who you are. I'm guessing that that is what Chandler Stokes was trying to say to you in 2003, and it is certainly what I am saying now. 
remember who you are. So today we begin with the first great end, the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. Now that's a string of theological words, words we don't use in normal conversation. We need to define them because they may not mean what you think they mean, and it makes, makes a big difference what we think they mean, except we'll work backwards, starting with salvation. When we hear the question, are you saved, it usually means, are you sure you'll go to heaven when you die? More often than not, people assume the answer depends on whether you hold the correct beliefs and that the people with the correct beliefs will be saved and go to heaven, while everyone else will go to hell. Behind all this is a complex set of doctrine, doctrines developed centuries after Jesus and the early church. A theology that says basically the human soul is separate from the human body and our souls need to be saved individually from an angry God because of original sin or total depravity. Now, this isn't the God that Jesus described, or the God scripture describes generally, or the way the scripture describes human nature. How we ended up with these doctrines is fascinating and complicated. The question that fascinates me the most is, who is it that benefits from terrorizing people with eternal damnation. But that's not the subject of today's sermon. The point I want to make is that these doctrines don't use the word salvation the way that Scripture uses it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear, wrote the psalmist. God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. When we see the word salvation or save used in the Hebrew scriptures or by Jesus or even Paul, they aren't talking about the afterlife, but about the present moment. They are trusting God to rescue them, restore them, deliver them, or heal them now. The word salvation comes from the same Latin root as the word for healing. Save us, heal us, here and now. What do we need saving from now, if not hell? If we look around, even without original sin, we can see that we humans have made a mess. We are in desperate trouble. Brian McLaren describes our civilization as a kind of suicide machine. Our system of seeking prosperity tells us that economic growth is always good, Happiness comes from owning more and using more. Winners and losers are inevitable and natural. And corporations need only be accountable to the bottom line. We act as though the resources we consume are infinite and the wastes we deposit are invisible. We don't see this clearly enough because we only measure how well we're doing by the gross national product or the stock market which tell us a lot about how things are going for the 1%. In the meantime, family farms are disappearing. Migrant workers are suffering. 
Systemic and even blatant racism continues. There's an opioid crisis and an immigration crisis. Minimum wage earners need two or three jobs just to make ends meet. The middle class is disappearing. Normal people can no longer afford to live in Marin County. California keeps burning and the ice caps are melting. In other words, we need help. We need saving. Did Jesus really come to save us from all that? Jesus' context was the Roman Empire, which bore an uncanny resemblance to our world today in the way that it was great for business. Great for everyone, really, well, except slaves and servants and tenant farmers and women and those who lived near the border where there were ongoing skirmishes trying to keep people out. It was into this context that Jesus brought good news. Our next term in this first great end of the church, we are to proclaim the gospel. And gospel means literally good news. When Jesus introduces his ministry in the verses we read this morning in chapter one of Mark, he's speaking to Judeans. The Judeans were a little colonized nation with an ancient backstory, an understanding of themselves as God's people. God had delivered them and they believed would continue to deliver them from slavery and injustice. Just as Mary sings this morning in the Luke passage, known as the Magnificat. This backstory means the Judeans refused to be tamed by the Roman imperial story. So Jesus bursts on the scene with this scandalous message. The time has come. Rethink everything. A radically new kind of empire is available. The kingdom of God has arrived. Believe this good news and repent, in other words, defect from all human imperial kingdoms. Open your minds and your hearts like children to see things freshly in this new way. Follow me and my words and enter this new way of living. The kingdom of God was Jesus' primary metaphor for what the world would be like if we live according to God's will for us, God's hopes and desires for all of creation, could this good news, could living into this kingdom of God save us from our current mess, from our suicide machine? Well, just imagine if we followed, if we practiced these teachings of Jesus. Don't get revenge when you're wrong. Seek reconciliation. Don't repay violence with violence, but seek creative nonviolent alternatives. Don't focus on conforming to rules, but on how love changes us from the inside out. Don't love insiders and hate or fear outsiders, but welcome outsiders into a new us, a new humanity. Don't have anxiety about money or security, but trust yourself to the care of God. Don't live for wealth, but for the living God who loves all people, including your enemies. Don't hate your enemies or your competitors, 
but love them, and do to them not as they have done to you, but as you wish that they would do for you. Would it save us all if we lived like that? My deepest faith is that this good news is true and that this is what God is doing for us. We often mix up the word faith and the word belief, and it's made trickier by the fact that our Bible translates Jesus' words in Mark as believe the good news. A better translation might be trust or have faith. Beliefs are like the doctrine about who goes to heaven. Faith, on the other hand, is something you trust enough to stake your life on it like the men, the fishermen who followed Jesus. I trust that the most important thing about God is that God so loves the whole world that this good news, the good news of the kingdom of God, has come near, is available now, and will save God's world. The first great end of the church says we are to proclaim this good news. Proclaim, again, is not a word we use every day. It points to something public, something deserving special emphasis. Proclaim doesn't mean convert or evangelize, but why would we not make public or give special emphasis to or treat as important the good news that could save the entire world, the planet even, regardless of people's faith or religion or any other condition? How does the church proclaim the good news? St. Francis of Assisi's most famous quotation is, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. It's a wonderful quotation and really perfect for us Presbyterians. Unfortunately, he didn't say it. I think he'd agree with it, however. His life revealed a deep commitment to embodying the good news of God's grace-filled love, and nothing that we say means anything if we don't live it and act on it. Jesus saved his worst diatribes for hypocrites. But there is a place for words and a time for speaking up and speaking out. One place we speak up is right here. We proclaim Jesus' good news here, week in and week out, with the one goal of forming Christ-like people, people who live in the way of love, the way of the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus, the way of the Spirit. We do it not only in sermons, but in our hymns, in our liturgy, in our rituals and symbols, in our Sunday seminars and godly play, even in our committee meetings. We also proclaim the good news to the world beyond this building, although we aren't as intentional about that. We have a Facebook page. We post our sermons online. We have a speaker series on climate change called Green Chautauqua, and about 90% of the people who show up aren't church folks. I always welcome them. I tell them where the restrooms are. And then I say something like, if you're wondering why a church is offering a series on global warming, in a nutshell, it's because this congregation is a social justice and people-loving bunch of folks, and you can't love people or any other creature, or justice, if you don't also love the earth that God created and that sustains us all. Well, it's a start. 
Perhaps one of our challenges as a congregation is figuring out how to be gutsier about sharing the good news with the world. I'll say on the, one, on the other hand that our website is terrific. If you haven't seen it, I invite you to look at our web page that says what we believe. Part of what we proclaim there is this. We at First Presbyterian Church believe that Jesus points us to a way of life and faith centered in the love of God. He called this the kingdom of God, a kingdom not defined by a list of unchanging beliefs, but by the dynamic pursuit of love. Therefore, we believe that church should be more of a school of love and less about right doctrines or beliefs. Our starting place is seeking to love one another. We strive to be a welcoming and hospitable community where all people are welcome. We value the sacredness of life. We honor diversity. We listen for God's call. We challenge and nurture each person's journey toward the justice of Christ, the reconciliation of the Spirit, and the wholeness of God. This is how we live our faith in the world. We are called to live our faith in our relationships in the world. We are called to love broadly and to seek fullness of life for all people wherever they are. This means we will act on behalf of others and on behalf of God's creation, addressing injustice, healing the planet, and seeking peace with our neighbors and enemies. Above all, we believe that practicing love is more important than anything we believe. That, my friends, is what proclaiming the gospel for the salvation of humankind sounds like. It is far easier to say than it is to do which is why we need to remember who we are. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.